back, everybody, to I Only Date Monsters, the podcast where queer theory meets queer thirst. I'm noted monster fucker Lunastopheles. And I'm spooky monster fucker Hayden. That's, that's, you just said monster fucker. I, look. Can you name a non-spooky monster? I, this is a troubling question because can you really, truly name a spooky monster? Yes, Count Chocula. <laughs> anyway, hi everybody. They're adorable. They're not spooky, they're adorable. I am the spooky I mean, one. but spooky's part of the draw. I'm not lusting after the fucking skull-headed alchemist from that one anime just for funsies. <laughs> like, it's not because he's just straight up cute. It's also because he's a bit spooky. Skeletor? No, an anime. The Ancient Magus' Bride is the anime. And the Ancient Magus is this, like, skull-headed gentleman, and I love him. <laughs> I will send you a picture in uh, our Discord. Yeah, of course. Naturally. Anyway, while I'm doing this, how are you, Hayden? I'm, I'm doing okay. I've been having uh, some sleep issues the past week, but... Oh, no. Then, on Friday, my company had a big... Oh, he is cute. Right, but he's also kind of spooky. Like, he, it is a skull face. Okay, yeah, I can see that. Anyway, on Friday, your company had a thing. My company had a thing. We basically passed a revenue threshold, which mm -hmm. I'm not actually a super fan of how my company acquires money, but I also need to feed myself. <laughs> right. We live in a society. Right. All of that. And I actually do sort of like my personal job and the people I work with, but we passed this big revenue threshold, and so they threw basically a huge party to celebrate, and they threw a rager. There were multiple people that had to be helped slash carried out, so a little bit. That just sounds like any time alcohol comes up in business. It was an open bar. <laughs> Yep, sounds about fucking right. At my last job, every holiday party had an open bar, and it was disgusting. Yeah. Well, it was considerably larger than those. Yes. And more booze and longer lasting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it was actually quite fun. I really did enjoy myself. I got free food, free booze. They gave us vouchers and... We were able to trade those for poker chips, and there was, like, a poker thing going on all night. Great. Which was fun, because I didn't have to actually spend any money, but I did get to sort of gamble. Yeah, poker and other, like, casino games fascinate me, even though I never want to play them at a casino, because I don't want to lose my money. <laughs> and I know the statistics. Well, I did the same thing that I do, like... I've only gambled at a casino like twice, but I do the same thing I do there, and that is, okay, this is how much I have to spend, mm -hmm. and every time I win, I put a portion of that just in, like, a separate pocket, and I'm never taking anything out of that pocket. That's the right way to do it. And then that way, even if I lose, I haven't gone full bust, and I've had fun. Basically, you put in some money, you see how far that gets you, and you let that be where it is. Yeah. Gambling, unfortunately, can be very addictive, and and thus, I don't... I, as someone who really enjoys games, I don't want to do it with my money. That's totally fair. I, I certainly am not one of, and will never be one of those that would regularly go to casinos. I think it would be a fun thing to go, like... I will start going to casinos when I can, like, put money down on a board game when i can like go in there and get to bet on my ability to win or lose like a dominion <laughs> oh that actually sounds really fun yeah okay um it let's scrap this podcast new business idea <laughs> oh no i'm joking obviously how are you lou i am okay a friend of mine is moving to Tennessee for a new job, which is bittersweet because I'm going to miss them, of course. Right. But we spent yesterday hanging out, 
and that was nice. Other than that, I don't think I've mentioned the fact that I've been playing in a game of Eclipse Phase on this podcast. Eclipse Phase is a tabletop system that's set in the far future and is transhumanist to a level that even I didn't ever think about, and I love it. <laughs> and so that's been nice. I've been playing a robot snake named Interrobang, who is like an anarchist NPR dude. Love everything about this. Yeah, he's great. So in Eclipse Phase, most everyone's consciousness is digitally stored somewhere. Like, there's definitely lore about where it's stored at, but there's also a lot of different places to do it because the technology is so easily available. Right. So my character is part of this group called the Scum, which are... The Scum exist in a flotilla of aligned ships that is just like one big anarchist party. They don't fight anyone, but no one messes with them because they can print their own weapons. So... My character is part of a ship called the Punishment of Luxury, because of course. Yes. But the other ships that we have met so far include Boy Toy, which is nothing but drag queens. Cool. There's also the Goo You Crave, one of the other playable characters' is ships, which grows like one of their products is yogurt that calms your brain down. Um, in, okay. It's look, Eclipse Phase is wild and I love it. That that reminds me of that um Love Death and Robots, the anthology Netflix has. Where the the yogurt takes over the world. Jamie Lee Curtis, we knew it would happen. <laughs> Since everyone's like consciousness is digital, and basically you use that to sleeve into different bodies. So like my character, their main one is this robot snake morph style called a slitheroid. But also they're very comfortable being pure data, which is called a data morph. But we've just decided that Jamie Lee Curtis is still around and just hawking for Activia still. <laughs> of course. Perfect. Because why not? It, it doesn't matter. <laughs> like, we're never going to see her, probably. That's what you think. She's actually the big bad. Oh, God. What if she is? But, yes. Eclipse Phase is very fun. And along with that, I mentioned this to you off-air, but I'll mention it very briefly here. I recently watched the full animated companion to the musician Sturgill Simpson's new album, Sound and Fury. Sturgill Simpson is uh, ostensibly a country musician, at least in the broadest sense. But he got really bothered by the country music establishment trying to pigeonhole him into being a quote-unquote outlaw country musician. And this was after he won an award for one of his albums from the CMAs. And so then he just decided he was going to make an album that gleefully throws away genre. There are songs that... Hayden, there is a song that bridges, like... Disco, funk, and (laughs) honky-tonk. And it fucking rocks. Funky-tonk? Yes. (laughs) <laughs> F- funk- funky tonk isn't so far off base i am curious how he manages to s- like slide the disco in there the disco element of the song mostly comes through the rhythm because it's using a slightly syncopated beat that you would hear in like a disco song okay so it's not that it has like disco strings or anything but it has the very specific groove that a disco song tends to have with a bass that feels more funk like and yet still, the video is everyone line dancing. And when I say everyone, I mean lots of very muscular, hot people <laughs> in CG. Okay, excellent. Small content warning for friends of the show that might watch this. There is some nudity. And there's also a scene where, like, an animal burns. It's not gratuitous, and it's not something I would say defeats the purpose of it in fact it it drives home a certain purpose because it's during a scene about the devastation of war just like as a warning if you look this up be prepared and be willing to view such thing yes it's it's pretty short and it's not very graphic but i just wanted to put that out there it is definitely a hard r 
so yeah, that's that's about all I've been doing. Well, then on the topic of uh, honky tonk and nope, that, gambling, nope, none of it. I'm gonna okay, no, go ahead, try this. <laughs> on on the topics of uh uh being uh huh being a snake named after punctuation and open bars. Let's get into Hocus Pocus. Wow. Wow. Okay, sure. We'll go with that. <laughs> but yes, okay. let's talk about Hocus Pocus. <laughs> so, sometimes it works. Sometimes I just throw two words together. That's fine. Sometimes I throw four words together and you pick your own adventure. So yes, Hocus Pocus. Mm. Mm -mm -mm -mm. I feel like I, f I feel like Hocus Pocus is one of those movies that by hook or by crook a good portion of queer people have seen I don't want to ever say that everyone has but more than other Halloween based movies Hocus Pocus has this like cultural appeal that I think we're all kind of aware of like every year it's just part of the vernacular of, of Halloween at this point. The Sanderson sisters are a group costume for the ages. And in every city, there will be many trios of women that will go as them. They are so fantastic. And <laughs> aren't they? I really love how they all have like their own very distinctive ticks. <laughs> Mary has like, the left side of her mouth is always, like, just a little bit closed. Yes. What I love about that is they never truly make that a joke about her. No, it's just just a thing. Yeah, it's just, like, she's that. Winifred has slightly buck teeth. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate that the Sanderson sisters get a scene in the film where they are called hot, effectively. Yeah. It is by a very skeezy bus driver, so we could discuss the politics of that. But it is done honestly, and in fact, the one time the Sanderson sisters are called ugly, they try to get their revenge. Well, there's two instances, actually, where they're called ugly. One is the bullies, who I want to talk about later. Oh my god, me too. And the other is by Danny, the little girl, and she's like, it doesn't matter what your outside is like, you're ugly on the inside. And like, cool burn from an eight-year-old, actually. Okay. Also, I'm sorry, Danny has some of the best fucking burns in this film. I, I do want to talk real, real quick. I just want everyone to know that if you Google the cast of Hocus Pocus, that bus driver is Don Yeso. And for no reason at all, his cast picture shows him shirtless <laughs> with abs. Good and great. Good and great. Also, I love that the end of the bus scene... And man, we have so many things to talk about. We could just go through. But the end of the bus scene has Sarah, who is played by Sarah Jessica Parker. Yes. Just go, farewell, mortal bus boy. <laughs> she is so excellent. We were talking about how they all have their, their tics. Hers is to just be like constantly flowy and just like moving like mm -hmm. water through every scene she's in. I, I love all of them, but... Okay, so let's take this a little bit more focused. Let's start from the beginning. The briefest of plot summaries for anyone who hasn't seen it. I actually did bring my notes this time, and the first note I have written down is Teeth Teen Chases His Sister, which would be the, the kid who later turns into a cat trying to rescue his sister from the Sandersons. Thackeray. Thackeray, yes. Teeth Teen. The very basic plot is the Sanderson sisters are witches in Salem and are caught taking the life force from children and are killed. Before they are killed, they curse a teenager named Thackeray to be a cat forever. And that I have some thoughts about this bit. When a virgin lights the black flame candle. They really leaned heavily into the fact that Max is a virgin throughout this movie. This is a Disney ass film that uses a virgin as a plot device in this economy. <laughs> so 300 years later we have some kids that go and light the black flame candle the sanderson sisters come back and they have one night 
to get rid of them forever. Which they do. It's a Disney movie. Yeah. That is literally the plot of the entire film. Now we can get into the details. First off, Max is a shithead. Max is the worst. Max is our Max is our main male character. And I hate and I hate him. And I really think this should have just been the fucking Allison and Danny movie. Allison and Danny are great. Danny is occasionally a little annoying in the way a kid sister of that age should be. Yes. But she plays it well, and she's also pretty smart, and, like, she knows what she wants and goes for it, and, like, you gotta respect that. I also want to bring up two quotes from the the sort of prologue scene that is set in the 1600s in Salem. Yeah. One is one that comes up a lot, and it's just Kathy and Jimmy screaming, A boy! <laughs> oh, I know what the other quote is. Uh, is the other quote, Hang him on a hook and let me play with him. Oh, no, I have the best character-establishing line I've heard in a long time, and it's Winnie opening the windows, leaning out, smiling into the glorious day, and saying, Another glorious morning. It makes me sick. I, God damn it! like, Bette Midler, Kathy Jimmy, and Sarah Jessica Parker are having the time of their lives playing these characters. They're having so much fun. Like, you can always tell in a movie when everyone in the movie really enjoys what they're doing. And this is one of those films where no one seems to be struggling to get through the film. And it helps that, again, we gave these three women amazing lead character acting roles. And they're all, they play off each other so well, and... The the costuming on these characters is really fantastic. For a movie that definitely at this era looks like what Disney television movies look like now. Like this is a movie that does not look expensive. And that's okay. It was released in 1993. They were doing their best. But it adds to the charm of how fucking campy this film is. <laughs> so, all right. We get so- into the modern day. Yeah. And this is one of the this is one of the reasons why I can't I I just immediately we establish how much of a shithead Max is. Well, I want to I want to talk for a second about this whole opening like oh sure. transition to modern day scene because the first thing is this is high school and this teacher is dressed up as a witch and like these kids keep cheering at everything she does. Like it's a goddamn concert. She hits a girl in the face with a streamer and everyone goes wild. What I love about this film is it sets up the idea that everyone who lives in Salem, Massachusetts, not only enjoys witches, but holy shit, it's like their goddamn sexuality. (laughs) Everyone is here for witches. And so we like literally have to have characters that moved from the other side of the U.S., because that's where Max and his sister Danny yeah, move from. he's from California. And, okay, so here's the thing. One of the very first lines that Max gets is claiming that Halloween was invented by the candy companies, and it's a conspiracy, man. I like that immediately he gets shut down on that, but, like, dude. By Allison, because Allison's a fucking badass who's just like, mm, it was called All Hallows' Eve for, like, centuries, so bye. <laughs> It's just, he is a fucking stick in the mud of a kid. Also, I love that Max is coming from L.A., where you know he definitely celebrated Halloween. Oh, yeah. And he moves to Salem, and he is he is bitching about Halloween so much. Even though they definitely had wild Halloweens down there, and also, why are you not talking about the weather? You moved from California, you should be freezing right now. <laughs> right. As someone who has been to Salem, this is a really wild caricature of Salem the city. (laughs) More than anything else in this film, and we can get into the fact that, like, weird portrayal of witches and stuff, it just portrays the city of Salem as single-mindedly obsessed with witches. But the other thing here, too, is we have this town that supposedly just loves Halloween, and everyone's super into it. Except for exactly three people. 
and that's Max and the two kids that are supposed to be Max's bullies. Oh, yeah. These guys are... I have to talk about Ice. I have to talk about Ice so badly. Oh, my God. Ice. I wrote down Ice is like if a bully was passed through like a scrambled cable station. (laughs) These are the most ineffective bullies ever. At most, they take his shoes. They say slightly mean things, and they, like, try to be intimidating, but never once do they succeed at actually being intimidating. No. They also give off Jay and Silent Bob from Clerks vibes. Yeah. Except dicks. They are somewhere between Jay and Silent Bob and Bulk and Skull Mm. from Power Rangers, which was wild to me in that show as well. They're superheroes. Well, you have five people who clearly fucking work out as humans and you're like we're gonna bully you and i'm like no sweeties no (laughs) i know that they're supposed to be like for the greater good but the red ranger should have just punched vulcan skull anyway back to hocus pocus so we have some really ineffectual kids and in fact the only people in this movie i give a shit about are the women first off danny get some wild ass burns in this film I love when they show up to Allison's house, and they look at each other, and Danny's just like, eh, rich Rich people. people. Probably gonna make us drink cider or bob for apples. (laughs) Danny is great. I also really appreciate, a little bit earlier than that, when they meet the bullies while trick-or-treating. At some point, Max says, I would have died. And Danny's retort is, at least you would have died like a man. (laughs) Like, this eight-year-old has has a fucking insult comic brain, and I'm... It baffles me. Also, this movie, first off, is really obsessed with Max's virginity. And secondly, at this rich people Halloween, which looks cool but also boring as shit, at some point, Danny literally says, I love your outfit. I can wear that, though. I don't have the... What do you call it, Max? Yabos? <laughs> <laughs> She she has made it her mission to break Max down. <laughs> I know. And then one other thing. Max doesn't want to go trick-or-treating with his younger sister, which, like, when you're when you get older, that's the way you get to go trick-or-treating more. You take, like, younger siblings and stuff. But anyway, he claims he's not in an outfit. He 100% dressed up as the Unabomber. Oh, God, you're right. (laughs) Like, his quote-unquote costume is a tan jacket, sunglasses, a baseball cap, and dirty jeans. Like, he's the fucking Unabomber. (laughs) Also, by the way, I marked it. 2932. Title drop. Oh, yeah. That is where Max holds his lighter over the candle and says, it's just a bunch of hocus pocus. I saw that scene, and I just, like... My body flashed back to a theater in 1993, and everyone in the theater just went wild. Yeah. That's what I imagined happening. (laughs) That is at least what movie studios want to think happens when you do a title drop. Right. Especially one as shoehorned as this. Yeah. So now, the witches are back. And I also really think that the way the Sanderson sisters re-enter the scene by, like, just walking through their front door. I wanted it to be accompanied with, like, sitcom applause. (laughs) Like, they just walk in, and I wanted, like, woo! The Sanderson sisters are great in every scene they're in, but also Danny is really good in this scene, because as soon as she's caught, she's like, okay, well, I'm in this, so let me see if I can play them. And she pretends like she's also a witch. And intentionally summoned them. (laughs) Right. She is wearing a witch costume, which she wears for the entire movie. Yeah. Just so, like, so she's, like, really leaning into the fact that, ah, yes, I have summoned you, this tiny witch. And it doesn't help her, but still very quick thinking on her feet. (laughs) Right. It doesn't help her, but there's this weird thing where, like, the Sanderson sisters, in a weird way, almost seem to respect the gumption, even though they're gonna just eat her. Yeah, I. <laughs> they really like her, I think. Yes, I think in a, in a world where they didn't need to eat children, Danny could have been the apprentice witch. 
It's been a while since I've seen this movie, and there was a brief moment where I was fully expecting a turn where they, like, adopted her as an apprentice witch. <laughs> I would have loved that. That would have been a much different and much cooler movie. I say cooler. This movie's also very cool, but, like... I want to see that movie. That would have been rad as shit. I'm glad I saw this movie, though. This was fun. Yes. Oh, right. And then, and then also, ladies and gentlemen, Doug Jones. There's like a zombie character that's in maybe eight scenes, and it's everyone's favorite hot fish man, Doug Jones, Mm -hmm. which I appreciate his arc because our zombie friend got his mouth stitched closed by Winifred Sanderson Mm -hmm. to never speak the truth of something. And so when she revives him and he's a zombie, at some point in the movie, he finally gets a fucking blade and he cuts his mouth open and he just like curses her out. (laughs) And it's one of my favorite uses of necromancy because no one ever thinks about the fact that when you come back, you probably aren't totally controllable. And in fact, in this one, it's just like, I really hate these fucking women. It's also completely believable because in his first scene, he's like getting out of the grave. Winifred gives him the order and he like shrugs and he like waves her off. And he, I have in my notes, Billy's already done with everything. Oh yeah. Billy is fucking dealt with this for too long (laughs) he is not here for the sanderson sisters and they are bullshit billy just wants to sleep there's also another point right around here that's literally the next note i have which is when they do a calming circle yes and i just have mary practices self-care yeah they practice self-care these sisters care about each other and it's an interesting characterization because they are cartoon witches And yet, they have, like, a robust family dynamic, whether they're actual, like, sisters or not. Yeah. I I really like in this scene that uh, Winifred is like, no, I don't need a calming circle. And Mary's like, are you being honest with yourself? Yes. Yes. She's not afraid to call her on. She's like, look, it's going to be a stressful night. We're 400 years in the future. Let's all just take a moment and think about the devil, okay? Can we just... Speaking of the devil... (laughs) Speaking of the devil, a fucking 1940s New Jersey comic (laughs) plays a a dad in Salem who is dressed like the devil. And the the choice that this movie made to where the the Sanderson sisters are utterly confused by costumes (laughs) is so good. To the point that they, they get invited into this house. That this man is dressed up as the devil and he's handing candy out. His wife is not into Halloween at all. She leaves the room. (laughs) At which point, Sarah starts referring to him as master. Yes. Because Satan. And the wife comes down to this dude dancing with Sarah and be like, oh, no, 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 this is done. (laughs) (laughs) Like, this movie has characters that, even for a couple seconds, are in there that make very valid choices, which is wild for this type of movie. (laughs) It's really fun, just the number of characters that get one scene and really have so much fun with it. During this scene is when their brooms get stolen, I think. Yes. And you see these three little girls walk out and be like, oh, cool, brooms, let's take them. And they walk off screen, and you hear the sound of the brooms taking off, and the movie never revisits that. There's a lot of stuff in this film that never gets visited again. I love that, that there are three children just flying in the sky now. <laughs> I also, and I say love in the, in the weirdest way possible, we never truly discuss the fact that for 300 years, Thackeray was a cat and had to watch all of his family die. Yeah, it's, it's not super great. And, like, the end of the movie makes fun of this by Thackeray describing to his sister... Sorry, I had to wait 300 years for a virgin to light a candle. <laughs> I, I like that everyone's just constantly dragging Max. I don't like that they're dragging him for being a virgin because weird sexual politics. Yeah. Especially for, like, a PG Disney movie. Right. That's what got me. Like, virgin is part of the plot. Like, it is very important that he is a virgin. And they could have said anything else. They could have said a child. They could have said pure of heart. Which wouldn't work for Max, but, like, there are so many other avenues, but they, ooh, they went, they, they really went ham on the virgin thing. I mean, even if, even if they had gone with virgin, 
they they could have just said that and then Max could light the candle and then they wouldn't have to keep bringing it up. It keeps coming up throughout this movie. Yeah, and it's wild because again, I assume Max is a high schooler. Yeah. But everyone seems really surprised in this Disney movie that this high schooler has not fucked yet. It's like it's it's a really weird piece of politicking. Yeah. I did have complicated feelings about it though because I was kind of happy that it was Max who lit the candle and not Allison. Yes. And cuz that seemed like the more predictable way to go about it. Of course, Doing it with Max is still kind of predictable at this point, but in 93. Right. It's still something where, like, virginity is often seen as something that only matters for women. Yes. Because it's a patriarchal idea. Yep. Uh, but, but And the fact that they put that on a boy. A, a very horny young man. I don't know if he is specifically terribly horny. That's the thing. I can't say he's any more horny than anyone else in this movie. Now, we have gotten up to what is, I think, my favorite scene in the film. And it's the most iconic scene. That's fine. It's the, it's the parents' dance party scene. Featuring dad killer. <laughs> right. And also mom Donna. Mom Donna, yes. So we have all the parents at a, at a dance. I also like how hard the mom is trying to sell her costume on Danny. Oh, right. Like, don't don't you think I look like Madonna? And Danny's like, I don't know who that is. Right. And it's only 93. So even her outfit with, like, she's doing the cone bra Madonna, that's not that far in the past. <laughs> so it wasn't like it was super irrelevant at the time. So we get to this party. And first off, hey, it's great to see that even in 1993, Ghost was performing. <laughs> but I wrote down two things about this scene. Or three three things, but two of them are very important. One, Winifred Sanderson is very good at improvising lyrics. She's this this whole scene is great and frankly the strongest queer energy. Yes. So this is the scene where the the witches sing, I put a spell on you. Mm-hmm. Winnie decides to pick up and start singing. Also, it's Bette Midler, so I'm sure in her contract somewhere she has to sing once in a film. <laughs> and that's fine. As a side note, the even queerer thing about Winifred Sanderson comes from the fact that Bette Midler started her singing career in bathhouses. And in fact, her nickname for the longest time was Bathhouse Bette. So, Bette Midler, high queer priestess. <laughs> So, she starts singing. The other thing, though, and what I want to point out even more, and the I think the single queerest thing that happens in this film. Yes, I'm excited. Tell me. She jumps on stage mm -hmm. and says, Hello, everybody. My name's Winifred. What's yours? <laughs> that is a direct reference to the musical Gypsy. Oh, is it? Oh, yeah. So, Gypsy is a musical about infamous show mom, Mama Rose Lee, who gets her daughter, Gypsy Rose Lee, into vaudeville doing burlesque. And the whole idea behind Gypsy Rose Lee's persona was she was a super intelligent stripper. Huh. And also, Gypsy Rose Lee was a real person. Like, the musical is slightly fictionalized, of course, but this was all real. And the way that Gypsy Rose would start off her shows was she would come on stage and be like, hello, everybody. My name's Gypsy. What's yours? Ah. And then would start stripping. <laughs> so, and it also helps that in the 80s, there was a filmed version, like a movie version of Gypsy that starred Bette Midler as Mama Rose. Oh. So, like, it makes sense to have this be a reference for Bette Midler in this film. But also, she does make a reference to a very famous stripper. Yes. And I love that. From the beginning of this scene, Max gets on stage and he tries to warn everyone that the Sanderson sisters are returned from the dead. Yes. And he points them out. And Winifred does not miss a beat. She's like, yes, thank you for the introduction. <laughs> and like just walks up on stage. 
that's the thing about the Sanderson sisters that I love is they are baffled by modern society. We see like joke things where they don't know what a road is, at least at first. They think it's a, a black river and then they step on it. It's like, oh, it's a road. Let's go. <laughs> and that's what I love is like they get baffled by society for about two seconds. And then Winifred just kind of like figures it out at least close enough to deal with it. And so we get to this scene and Max is trying to expose them. And she's like, oh, nope, just a performer. Got it. <laughs> it's some wild improv as a character if those characters were real. And I love that. She also manages to work in her entire spell into the song, which is a big witch mood. Oh, yeah. She she chants the spell and then she has the audience chant it back at her. Right. She does call and response for her spell to get them to dance forever. I love it. It's very good. It's it's the most iconic scene in that film for very good reason. Yes, definitely. Definitely far and away my favorite. Then we get to the bit where they think they've been defeated because they try to... Why does they... (laughs) This movie takes the idea that a high school has a full walk-in kiln (laughs) as just like Deverger. As like, yeah, high schools have that, right? So they like try to burn the witches and that doesn't work because they're not going to die that easily. Yeah, because the movie's only been going for like 50 minutes now. (laughs) Exactly. And two things. One... For a kid who hates Halloween, Max sure does know how to pull references from old Hollywood monster movies, because at some point he says he's Boris Karloff Jr. (laughs) And then also, they all get back to their house, and they all fall asleep for a nap, and Allison and Max cuddle, but I just wrote down, ah, the highest form of straight love, all clothes vertical napping. (laughs) I mean, you can call me with that shit as well. I, I, I love that. Yeah. You, a straight person. Yes. All close vertical napping. All close vertical napping. That's where it's at. Also, this is the scene where Winifred tries to call the book to make itself known. She has a spell book, which is what they've been chasing them around this, for this whole movie. Also, why didn't she do that first? I guess because she always sort of knew where they were. But, I guess. Yeah. Um, but if your book has GPS, fucking use it. While these two kids are cuddling, though, they are, like, sitting on the book that's yes. made of human flesh. I'm like, why? <laughs> no one is truly bothered by the fact that the Necronomicon exists in this universe. Like, everyone's like, yeah, it's made of flesh, whatever. And is constantly rolling its eye. Oh, yeah, it's a very sassy book with one eye. Like, no one comments on the fact that this book is made of flesh. Like, that is just an accepted thing, and no one feels weird touching the book. No one feels weird sleeping next to the book? Like, they're almost using it as a pillow. It's true. Also, a little bit later, they're looking for salt to do a salt circle. Yeah. And the one thing I took away from that scene was, there was sugar in the raw in 1993. Because they open a cabinet, and it has seven up and, like, four boxes of sugar in the raw. (laughs) And that was my thought. was just like, that was around in the 90s? (laughs) Interesting. Yes, it must have been. Also, this movie takes a really weird stance on witch cosmology. Are witches just, like, not into salt, period? Or just salt circles? It seems like they're not into salt. Period, because at one point, Allison does, like, throw a fistful of it at one of the witches mid-flight to try and get rid of her. It just makes me think that witch food must be really bland. That's what I thought, too! (laughs) Are you just, are you just relying on, like, bitter and sour things? Because they have their place, but that sounds awful. Yeah, like, do, do witches only use MSG? Do you have no salt flavoring? Like, oh. Do you have some sort of salt substitute? I don't know. I'm confused. I want to know. Is sea salt okay? We want to know the answers to these questions, Hocus Pocus. Would garlic salt defend against witches and vampires? (laughs) Or would it defend (laughs) against neither? 
Yeah, would that would that negate the properties of each? I don't know. Really interesting cosmology. Much like I don't think I've ever heard of the idea of a witch dying in sunlight. That that was less to do with the sunlight than it was the deadline for when the candle was going to run out. But also, it doesn't necessarily portray it that way. It goes back and forth on what it thinks about this. Yeah, this movie does not have a hard and fast rule on witches, and that's like okay. It's a it's a comedy movie for kids, yeah, for families. That's fine. It's listed as fantasy horror, which I would not place it under. It's like yeah, it. I think I got shocked once, and it was mostly because, oh right, I didn't mention this on air yet. So I forgot about watching this until late last night, and I've seen it like a dozen times or so. So this was more of a refresh. I did end up watching it at 2.0 speed on YouTube. <laughs> I which, love this. Which really makes it feel like a vaudeville movie. <laughs> Just the way you, you've described it to me off air makes me want to go back and rewatch it that exact same way. Like, I don't know if it adds a ton, but it's, it is just really fucking comical to watch everyone skitter around like an old film. <laughs> also, I have seen this movie a dozen times. I have watched it so many times. The fucking vacuum joke still gets me. <laughs> because they lose their brooms, and they need new brooms. Yes. And they open up the closet in the, their house that was converted into a museum. And they find a sort of traditional modern broom, a mop, and a fucking 1960s Hoover. Poor Mary. The other two get on theirs, like, so easily and so gracefully. And Mary's just like, well, guess this is me. I love it because it's not that she hems and haws. She walks out third from the house, and she holds up the vacuum, and she's just like, Winnie? Huh? And then just like, Jumps and slams it into her crotch and flies away. <laughs> Kathy and Jimmy is a treasure. They're all treasures. I love Kathy and Jimmy, and I think this is where I started loving her because she was, whenever she would show up in some other comedy, like I also really love Sister Act because she's in it. I just love her. She has good comic timing, and she's a warm human being, and she plays this character so fucking well. <laughs> she has a lot of lines in this movie that are some equivalent of oh, yes, you're right, Winnie, because Winifred is the oldest sister. Yes. And it shouldn't, it shouldn't be a line that's funny every time she says it, but somehow she just, like, paces it just right, and it's a little bit different inflection each time, and they all land. <laughs> it's true. She, like, Kathy Jimmy is a, an amazing comedian and just delivers in this film in a way that I never stop loving. So we are now at the bit where they're going to defeat the Sanderson sisters. It's pretty easy. We, uh, we skipped over something earlier that I wanted to... Oh, go ahead. Uh, back, back at the house when they, they think they've won and so they're all taking like a little rest and breather. There's this really sweet scene between Danny and Binks where she's just like napping with him and she's like i'm going to take care of you and then she she shows this really mature understanding of death and immortality and one is like and then my kids and their kids and their kids will all also continue to take care of you which i thought was maybe a little diminishing of the fact that he's actually a human just trapped in a cat's body yes but also very sweet and thinking forward to be like, because you've mentioned that he's had to go through watching his, his family age out and die. But he's given in this scene like a promise of a family going forward forever, which is still not, I think, what I would even necessarily want in his shoes. It isn't what he establishes as wanting at the end. But I really did just think that was a, a very sweet, adorable scene. Danny has an emotional maturity that characters like her don't often get. Usually if you have the annoying little sister, it is annoying to a point of being a villain. Yes. Or incapable of doing her own shit. And instead, Danny is still an annoying little sister, but kind of backs up her, her talk with her walk. This actress is very good. It's hard to find a child actor who is good, like, 
just flat out. It's very yes. rare. <laughs> it is. But she manages to deliver these parts, and she's so very well written as a kid who isn't fully emotionally mature, but isn't emotionally stunted either. Right. Like, she is believable as a kid, but she is believable as a kid who you could see growing into a well-rounded adult fairly naturally. If Hocus Pocus was like an eight-episode TV show, I think Danny would go down as one of the best-written children in history. And I say that compared to the movie because it's a movie, it's an hour and a half, it's an adventure film, so it's not really a character thing. You don't get enough time with any of these people to really... No. But, like, if you were able to sit with Danny for a while, I just feel like we would get a very robust character out of her in a way that you don't often see. I think you see it more these days, but you definitely don't see it as much with younger women. Right. Because, like, even stuff like Stranger Things, which I have complicated feelings about, (laughs) while we have Eleven, Eleven... I would posit that because of Eleven's upbringing, Eleven is also brought up like a boy. Um, what I mean by that is not all boys are raised in sensory deprivation tanks. That's not what I mean, and you know it. <laughs> what I mean is, much like the four boys that are like our main characters, per se, in Stranger Things. Right. She's kind of brought up without like someone guiding her emotional maturity. And it's very clear with Danny that she has been given some very good emotional maturity talks or like her parents are actually really good at being parents. We don't see them very often, but considering she is emotionally mature, something is going right in that household. Right. That's all. Yeah, no, that's, that's all that needs to be said. I, I like Danny. I love Danny too. God, Danny's the best. <laughs> Danny and Allison. Danny and Allison, I love that neither of them get into a situation where they have to, like, quote unquote, be rescued. And in fact, almost no one does. What happens is some characters will get into spots that are tighter than others and are saved by the other characters. But everyone kind of gets that moment. That's true. And even when characters are like, put in that kind of position it's not it's not someone swinging in on like a grappling hook to save them completely from the danger basically the way this movie handles its its three main protagonists which are allison danny and max is one of them will get in danger and then one or both of the others will then expose themselves to that danger to sort of spread it around. And then the person who was imperiled uses that opportunity to escape. Right. It is, I think we talk a lot about, and the Sanderson sisters are very good, like queer icons Mm -hmm. as far as villains that are queer coded in one way, shape or form or like queer coded in the way that like Joan Crawford or other like tragic actors, tragic actresses are like queer icons. Yeah. But It is telling that our main characters are so supportive of one another when push comes to shove. And that sort of is queer as well. This like, we're in a situation that's kind of bad. And even if we maybe don't like each other perfectly, we also don't want each other to fucking die. (laughs) And so we will do our goddamn best to help each other out tonight. Yeah, Danny and Max have a sort of antagonistic relationship that is clearly founded in love but too much proximity that you see in a lot of siblings. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, like, at one point in the very beginning, Max doesn't want to take Danny out trick-or-treating, and in protest, he just starts playing the drums. Yeah! <laughs> that was so <laughs> hilarious to me. It's like, Danny bursts out of his closet, and he's like, you aren't supposed to be in here. And she starts bugging him about trick-or-treating he's like uh forget this Uh, (laughs) wait i actually wrote a note for that my note was i don't want to talk i feel the rhythm (laughs) (laughs) suddenly one of the witches is played by gloria estefan the rhythm is gonna get you 
such a weird, dumb way to get out of an argument. Not even leaving the room, just starting to play an instrument. I feel like, well, I haven't done that before. That's a mood. Like, I need to get out of this argument, but also this is my space, so I just kind of need to make you get out of my space. <laughs> but Danny refuses because she's an eight-year-old girl. <laughs> and also a juggernaut. <laughs> oh, yeah. Getting back like to the end of this film, the scene where Danny is held captive for a little bit by the witches, and right after that line where Danny says that it doesn't matter how pretty you're looking on the outside, you'll always be ugly on the inside. Which is a sick burn. Right. But Winifred comes back with, you'll die first. <laughs> Which is like, damn. <laughs> and again, then Danny doesn't fucking balk at that. She's like, okay, try me. Winifred is the kind of queer icon that when you joke, as we do every week, about the gay agenda, she pulls out her planner and shows you. Yeah. Well, let's see. This week I have all of these things I'm doing, and next week we're going to take over the world. So, like, we're kind of busy. <laughs> oh, God. Shit. Okay. We basically talked through the entire movie, but, like, man, I just really enjoy this film. I had so much fun. I'm very glad this... I'm glad we're doing Witch Month. Me too. Though, we are about an hour and some change in, but did you want to talk for a little bit about Salem and Witches? Yeah, I didn't have really a strong secondary segment this week, but I did want to... Bring that up? Yeah, because Salem is, historically, Salem, Massachusetts is a city in the United States that is most known for the fact that it executed a lot of people on the premise of them being witches. Though, side note, it's debated whether it actually happened in Salem directly. Right. In and around the area, though. But yes, so... And we've, we've talked about last week how the hunting and execution of witches has been one of history's great bad faith arguments. Yes. But it's really weird that a lot of horror films will dip into Salem, and they will dip into Salem painting the witches as the bad guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll, we'll see this with the one we're talking about next week, but Hocus Pocus has three people who are witches and whose witchy plan is to suck the life force out of children. And it takes place in Salem, and everyone in sort of the Salem area is is obsessed with witches in this film. And it just, like, looking at this and also researching a lot of other witch films that happen in and around Salem, because it's a very popular place setting, mm -hmm. it is wild how often we see the storyline of witches who were defeated by the Salem witch trials coming back and being threats in the future just like they were back then. Yeah, the only sort of text from, I would say, pre-2000s that is both popular and actually addresses the fact that the witch hunts were fakey as shit Yeah, is The Crucible, because it was also about McCarthyism. Yeah, I, that's, that's one I have on my list that I want to see, and that's one of the first witch movies. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure... That there is some silent film version of Macbeth somewhere. <laughs> but yes, like, one of the first movies about witches, specifically, like, American Salem witches. Yeah. I feel like I'd be even less upset if there were films that, say, took the aspect of witches, of, like, the witch trials and people being unfairly executed and then their ghosts come back for revenge because they weren't bad then, but hey, you did them dirty, so they want revenge. I feel like there has to be a movie about this, and if nothing else, there was an episode in the most recent season of Doctor Who that is basically that. Ooh, I need to catch up on Doctor Who. I, I haven't in a little while. You can just start straight with 13th Doctor. Like, new showrunner, new cast. They actually used a writer's room for the first time in 50 years. <laughs> I did see the, the, the first episode with the 13th Doctor. Yes. And 
I love her. She's so good. We can't get into a talk about Doctor Who right now. I will talk for four fucking hours. <laughs> but yes, I love Jodie Whittaker's Doctor. I love everything yeah. about it. The end. <laughs> mm, mm, mm. Do you have anything else you want to talk about? No, I think that's all for me. Cool. Well, Hayden. Hey, Lou. Much like, much like Winifred would do, pull out your planner and tell me what's next on the gay agenda. Well, let me see here. It's... It looks like we are still in Queer Lust Month, so that means we will be continuing our exploration of witches, this time with the movie The Witch. Yes. Mm. Go ahead, get out of your system now. Would, would you like to live deliciously? Oh, I thought you just wanted to get out of your system that you want to say the, the Witch like oh. four times. Oh, no, no. I'm saving that for the episode proper. Damn it. <laughs> like people who say traverges <laughs> but yes i'm very excited about the witch it's one of my favorite modern horror films and we're gonna get to talk about basically the opposite of the take that hocus pocus has on witches oh yes this falls much more squarely into the horror category it's very different theme but I'm, yeah i'm excited well, no. That, but also I think, and we'll get into this more when we do the episode, but I think it also gets at the other aspect of, like, who is the real victim and who has the real power in the witch hunts. And it's going to be a fun conversation. <laughs> so, if you want to have a fun conversation with us, you can contact us either on Twitter at IODMpodcast. Or on Mastodon at IonlyDateMonsters at MonsterPit.net. And I just want to say some people have actually been reaching out to us at uh, Mastodon, at least. Mm-hmm. I did want to give a special thanks to at Birdish, I believe, who was very nice and tagged us and let us know that episode 10 was uploaded wrong. That issue is now fixed if you want to listen to that episode. It is. It was British on Mastodon, but also about the same time, Spike Allosaur on Twitter sent a message of the same thing. Yeah, and I only see stuff that's, like, put at us directly, because that's what goes to the inbox, but I did want to say thank you. Yeah. I want to say thank you to both of you. We can't always control every weird thing that happens. We're doing our best. But yes, if you want to reach me... You can contact me at Lunastopheles, either on Twitter or at Snoutsled Online, which is a Mastodon server. And you can reach us by email at IonlyDateMonsters at gmail.com. And you can reach out to me by destroying the barrier between our worlds. No, no, no. That is a load-bearing barrier. I'm not saying you should. I'm saying you can I I just hung a painting up there. Do not encourage it. Do it. Do it. Break the bonds. And if you could also rate or review us on iTunes or wherever you listen to the show. We've gotten a few more ratings recently. Thank you to everyone who has done that. Yes. If you actually leave a review, we could even read it on the show. Yes. As long as it's nice. <laughs> I, I mean, if it's five stars and it's mean, I might still read it. That's fair. That's also just a really weird cross-section. That's, that's why I want to read it. I'm curious what they would have to say. <laughs> I know what they'd have to say. Because in, in, in the words of, of Count Dracula... Count Dadkula. Yes, Count Dadkula. Mmm... I want to suck your dick.
Binks the Immortal Cat.